Hey everyone, this is Leela Sinha. Welcome to Power Pivot, the podcast version two. This is where we talk about business, leadership, ethics, community, and the way it all fits together. I'm glad you're here. Remember the Lorax? I grew up on the Lorax. He was my favorite. In fact, I learned to read on the Lorax. My parents were really worried because although I showed above average signs of intelligence, I had not chosen to begin to read and it was getting late on into first or maybe second grade and I just didn't want to. But then one day I discovered the Lorax and I read and I read and I read that book over and over until I had it committed to memory so well. So well that when I was in high school and I needed a skit for a youth group conference... I was able to recite large portions of it from scratch, from memory. I don't memorize well. That was some kind of miracle, except that I've always memorized songs well. Things with a cadence and a rhyme tend to stick better in my brain, so I take advantage of that frequently. In any case, if you don't remember the Lorax, or if the Lorax was not part of your childhood and not there to remember, the Lorax was a fiercely environmentalist little muppet of a character created by Dr. Seuss, Theodore Giselle, who some of his work was better than other of it, and he certainly was not a saint. But a lot of his books got a lot of us reading in various ways, and that is no small feat. And he created these books. Most of them had a political angle of one kind or another and were exceedingly pointed in their moment. The Lorax came out when everything was an environmental mess, just as we were beginning to think that maybe the EPA should actually be able to exist and do some work. And this is when that yellow-brown fog used to hang over New York City all the time. I was born into that moment, and so... I and the Lorax were contemporaries. He had this line about, I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees, I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And I'm asking you, sir, at the top of my lungs, what is that thing you've made out of my truffula tuft? turns out that the thing was a thneed, which is a fine something that all people need. It's a shirt, it's a shoe, it's a coat, it's a hat. The Onceler, the Lorax's nemesis for most of the book, has every hallmark of a sleazy salesman going to town. He is massive industry wrapped into a shiny little fantasy book bow with those long fingers and the pointy fur at the end of them that were so characteristic of Dr. Seuss's illustrations. So I grew up knowing that I wanted to be the Lorax. I didn't want to be the once I didn't want to be ignoring all of the signs and sounds from the people and living things around me, that I wanted to save the trees, that I wanted to speak for the trees, that I didn't want the humming fish to be all glomped up in the pond. I wanted them to be able to hum. I didn't want the swami swans to not be able to sing a note. I I knew from a very young age, from, from the beginning of my reading time, that it was important not to be the onceler. And it's funny because they're both, in some ways, marketers. 
They're both in some ways salespeople. The onceler is selling the need and the fine byproducts of, of commercialization, of industrialization, until the very end of the book, when he finally gets that there are only so many truffula trees in the world. And that all those things were part of the truffula ecosystem. On the other side, we have the Lorax, who speaks for the trees. He looks like an old, balding professor turned into a Muppet, and he talks like one, too. He is marketing and advocating for the trees, for the environment, for all those living things. And he says specifically, I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. It's true. Trees don't have tongues. They can let you know how they're doing, but not in the way that most Wunzler-like people are used to listening for it. I need, I need something that's a cross between a Wunzler and a Lorax. I struggle with lots of things on a daily basis, and one of those things is marketing. I don't struggle with ideas. I don't struggle particularly with bringing those ideas to life if I know there's a reason to do it. But explaining why this stuff that I do that's so ephemeral is important for your business, for my business, for our businesses, for the world, explaining why it's worth your time and your energy to do it, to participate, to pay for it. I need a Lorax or a Wunzler, something in the middle. Something in the middle. I don't want to sell anyone on something they don't want or need. But I do firmly believe, I do firmly believe that what I do will help almost everyone. And so I have almost a kind of responsibility to get it out there. And I think that many, many entrepreneurs, I won't even say most, but many of us, especially intensive entrepreneurs, are in the same place. We believe that what we are doing will help people. And so that's why we want to get it out there. Yes, we want to survive. Yes, we want to make a profit. Those are also important. And they may be top priorities for us as well for a variety of reasons. But what we really want is for people to have this thing that they need and for us to be supported in creating and providing it. And because we are intensives and we sometimes have trouble communicating with people around us, with people who are not intensive, people who don't come from the same perspective, who aren't making the same leaps of logic that we are, often we stumble over our marketing. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we're, we're spot on and we just know how to say the thing and we know how to do the thing and the business takes off. And then there are the rest of us who don't quite know how to say or do the thing in a way that will make it make enough sense to make it worth money and time. Because those are the two major commodities in our world right now are money and more importantly, time. Why should you take the time to watch the videos even if you've paid for them? Why should you take the time to attend the class live why, why, why? And all the stuff that I can offer is stuff that most people know they need, but they think of it as a nice to have because we as a culture have decided that we don't actually need to care too much about how people's mental health, well-being, joy, daily thriving is. 
We don't have to care too much about any of that. All we have to care about, (laughs) all we have to care about is making sure that the bottom line gets met and that the salaries get paid and that we don't treat anyone too terribly. And when that's your minimum standard, you're not going to spend time or money or energy on making sure that people understand each other better or on making sure that people don't feel stressed when they come to work or making sure that when people have to interact with people who are different from them, that they know and have tools to do that well and effectively so that there's less miscommunication so that they can basically do it right the first time. The companies that invest with me are people who really, really, really understand in the bones of their bones how important well-being is, how important team cohesion is, how important good company culture is. And that is, I have to tell you, not a lot of people. Because I keep speaking to that. When I try to speak to the bottom line, I sound like everyone else. There's a reason that everyone else is doing that. But then it's no longer clear why you would work with me and not with everyone else. I need a Lorax or a Wunzler, someone between the two who can thread that needle, who can explain on the one hand how this affects your bottom line. Did you know? Did you know that it costs a full year's salary of an employee to replace somebody if they leave? A full year's salary. So if you were paying that person $85,000 a year, it will cost you $85,000 to replace them. You will lose $85,000 to replace them. So hiring matters. And we all know hiring matters. We all know that it's disruptive to need to rehire. But figuring out how people's brains work to make sure we get the right person in the right spot is 80% magic and 20% knowledge, but I can help with that. I can help with that. Because I don't want to be unethical. None of us do. When we think about our marketing, none of us want to be unethical about how we handle any of this. We don't want to lie. We don't want to overpromise. We don't want to make you think that this will be a perfect solution if it won't be. But we want to get the part of your brain that is trying to manage every single little thing a little bit interested in what we're saying. And that part of your brain is in high octane triage mode most of the time. I know mine is everyone I know right now, especially. Everyone's brain is in this high-octane triage mode. (laughs) We're all trying to figure out how we're going to keep the factory running, how we're going to find more truffula tufts, how we're going to make more thneeds, and it's hard to remember that good maintenance of the thneed ecosystem is part of that process. And part of good maintenance of the Thneed ecosystem is making sure that the workers are happy and making sure that the trees are happy and making sure that the swami swans are happy and the humming fish. And so we don't want to, I know we don't want to sell anything that isn't real. We don't want to force someone into buying something that they don't want or that they don't need. 
But where the problem comes in is a lot of us don't want to need what we need or don't know that we need what we need. And that's where the little bit of onceling comes in, a little bit of trying to explain that this is a shirt or a shoe or a coat or a hat, that you can use it for a bicycle seat. So if you need any of those things, you should come by a need. Come get a need, and it will solve a lot of your problems. Not forever. And not perfectly, probably, but it will get you a lot closer. That's the key to authentic marketing. What I don't know yet is how to authentic market in universal language. And I think that's what a lot of us struggle with. How do we sell ourselves and not sell our souls? This has been Power Pivot, the podcast. I'm your host, Leela Sinha. Thank you for listening. I offer gratitude for the earth and sky and the support and care of many who cross my path. Our post-production assistance is provided by William Jameson, and you can find him at jamesonav.net. You can find more of me and my work, including leadership consulting and keynotes, at intensiveinstitute.com.